0: This podcast is a project of the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency committed to building creative communities and inspiring creative minds. But the reality is no margin, no mission. So if you're not able to stay sustainable, you can't assure that you're delivering whatever your services, whatever the cultural um, resources are you're providing to the public. So assuring that you're sustainable five years, 10 years, next decade, next
1: century. Hi, I'm Anita Walker at the Massachusetts Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guest today is Todd Smith. He is the Interim Executive Director at the American Textile History Museum in Lowell. Welcome to the program. Thank you. For those who have not had the experience of the museum, what is it? So
0: the American Textile History Museum, uh, in its different iterations, really centers around the history of the textile industry Uh, primarily from the actual the the owners the the manufacturing companies themselves and so it was established back in uh, 1960 and it focuses on the the manuscripts and documentation around those organizations but also the machinery the the wooden tools the history of textile industry from the beginning uh, in Lowell in 1820s up to today and the changes that it's gone through throughout. So we're, we're, we kind of cover the full gamut of the history of textiles.
1: So now that we're all excited about it, yeah. <laughs> you're here to tell me that unfortunately it's kind of going the way of the textile industry in Massachusetts.
0: Unfortunately, we're, mod- we're modeling that a little bit closer than we meant to, yes.
1: So you came in, uh, you, you're a business person, right? right. Uh, you came in from the, the land of business executives Corporate exec- yeah. um, to try to take a look at this institution uh, which was really struggling financially and help determine whether there was a path forward for the museum or whether it needed to be gently carefully and kindly um, come to the end of its life. Exactly. So how did you approach that question?
0: Well I think um, the the way that the the issue was approached was with the support of one of the major funders for the uh, the organization for the museum and they really urged the, the board and the, uh, the museum leadership to take advantage of some outside financial consulting to do some forensic analysis essentially on the finances and evaluate what the status of the museum was and did it have a path, like you were saying, a transformative path that it could explore or was this a time where they need to think about responsible close? Because with museums unlike many other organizations, closing is not something that happens slowly and we can talk more about that too.
1: So what what did you find? What were some of the indicators that uh, told you that it was time to come to an end at this museum?
0: I think specifically for this museum, one of the biggest indicators that actually triggered this, this event with the funder was um, a couple of years of major losses. Um, you know, so from a sustain- sustainability standpoint, you know, the museum was not able to continue to cover the expenses that it was sustaining. And so those losses got to a point where it, it raised the, the, both the attention of the board itself and what they wanted to focus on, but then the funders wanting to get involved too.
1: What were the options that you considered in terms of um, saving it?
0: So that's definitely, with the, with the work of the consultants and definitely the integration of the board and the engagement of the board, we, we looked at several different paths over a nine-month period basically of uh, transforming the museum both in you know, the size of it, uh, the collection is a massive collection as many people have heard us talk about. So how to possibly reduce that and then get more integrated within either the community or our different partnerships. So looking at partners locally, looking at partners regionally, uh, looking at alternative ways of us to engage with the community, and, uh, and then also looking at ways to potentially um, no longer be a museum with an exhibit focus but research focus and so to turn kind of inward more. And So we looked at all those different options surrounding that. And. And funding and sustainability was the utmost uh, importance to be able to do that. And though many of those options came close, the long-term financial perspectives in all of them really didn't play out in a way that meant that the museum could sustain itself long-term. So that was the the overarching goal for the board and for the organization was, if we were going to transform, transform successfully so that it was sustainable five, ten years down the road. and, and the math just it it didn't work. We essentially the runway that we had, if you want to think of it that way, from a financial standpoint, wasn't enough. There wasn't enough time to be able to kind of put the things in place that needed to happen. So.
1: so, I can imagine that you came into this position hoping to find the magic solution. Right. I mean, this must have been tough to really sort of face up to the facts. I mean, you know, magical thinking. We talk about that all the time. That if only we could do this. What was that like?
0: That was actually very difficult. I, I will say, I mean, and and this is true again for the for board leadership and some of the consultants as well. That we all came into, and I was talking to another um, organizational leader who was talking for the same problems. You don't come in with the intentionality of closing. That's not it at all. It's exactly what you said. You come in saying we can do this, we can save this, and and it's very addictive from that standpoint. I will be honest. Uh, you know, early actually, when you and I met in January, I really at that point we were really investigating these paths and it's like we're going to make something work. We're going to make it happen. And one of the key things that I realized specifically is as a voice kind of from the outside of the organization as well, you have to balance that with bringing in the, but we still have to be sustainable when we're done. And so some of those tough decisions are it's close, but does it really play out? Like let's take it three years out, let's take it five years out and really look at the finances. And so. It's tough.
1: So now there's a whole new work assignment in front of you, um, yeah. and closing an institution isn't just a matter of shutting the door and locking it and walking away. I mean, what's involved in um, in bringing an institution like this to a closure?
0: It is not a simple process. Yeah. So what's involved in closing, specifically for museums uh, and any nonprofit organization that has some level of assets, collect collection or otherwise, it's responsibly distributing those materials. So for us, our collection is, as I said, rather significant and large and it covers both uh, paper materials, so books and manuscripts and archives, and then 3D materials, machinery, so large huge pieces to small patent models and textile uh, costumes, dresses, all these different pieces. We have to find homes for all of that. And so the, the struggle for a museum is that Those homes are not necessarily hard to find in the sense that we have lots of people interested in wanting to help us by taking those things on. But the timing of that, just the engagement and time that it takes for their boards to approve things and our boards to work through that, it's a long process.
1: And what about even providence? I mean, uh, donated, contributed uh, items that have been entrusted to your care uh, and the donor expects you to do so.
0: Exactly. And, and that, I, I will say, and I, I give full credit to the board for how forward looking we've been and being, you know, we are an organization for the public good, as all nonprofits are, but taking that into account when we're looking at the collection, those things were donated to the museum by different people for different reasons, whatever they may have been, financial or otherwise, but keeping that in place when we're looking at the new homes for that and really keeping that as the forward most important piece that is this the right home for the public good for that item so when someone donates yeah actually that's one of some of the toughest conversations is from some of those smaller donors the family donors who have said well we'd like that piece back and we're like I'd love to be able to do that, but the reality now is it's part of the public good, and actually it's part of this larger collection that this organization now would like to see, but they need all of those pieces, and so your family piece goes with that. And so those are sometimes the toughest conversations. Oh,
1: I can imagine that would be very, very difficult. Uh, I'm actually curious about um, the reaction of the community, because this is a museum that is of and about Lowell. I mean Lowell's whole identity, uh, the national park, uh, and and so forth, is really about its its history in the textile industry, and certainly this is a iconic symbol of that. What does it mean to the community to have it go away?
0: I think the message that I've gotten, I mean, in, in engaging with the community, and and certainly the feedback that we've gotten, you know, once we had to announce the closure publicly, um, it's it's very. You know, huge disappointment uh, but also uh, I will say kind of the follow-up comment to that from a lot of people is <coughs> recognizing the reality specifically because of what Lowell and the Merrimack Valley has been through in different cycles of these things happen so we hate to see this happen but how can we now you know, move on beyond that and have it go to again back to the public good and, and, and serve us everybody better.
1: It's a life cycle.
0: Exactly. And
1: not everything lives forever.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: how long is your timeline from the moment you decided okay this is the path that we have to go down to when you will lock the door and walk away
0: that was one of the tough conversations uh... i mean specifically with the board you know when the reality it's one thing to have been discussing for months about the transformation versus close that you know not the intentionality of closing but the fact that it might be happening to the real okay, we have to make that decision um, and the reason for that and we had set that kind of milestone of, we could talk about this forever for the transformation, but at some point money is really the, the the timekeeper for us in this case. And so the board had set a very clear milestone of if at this point we're making a decision. And so that decision was made because we needed a certain amount of runway to do the essentially the deaccessioning process, which is a, the big word that's very difficult to deal with within the museum space. Um, but. For us, the timeline is one where, at least based on our financial estimates, we're looking at something around 10 to 12 months at this point, which I will be clear to anyone listening who's used to museums, that is an amazingly aggressive time scale. Um, most Especially museums, with a
1: huge collection like that exactly, and finding homes for yeah. things and making decisions.
0: I mean, I know other museums that have struggled with this and either done large deaccessioning efforts or had to close completely. Three years was an aggressive schedule for that and we're doing you know, something far more aggressive. And so. My The staff that's been engaged with this and dedicated to this museum and collection for so long, they are saddened by what's going on, but they are so dedicated to trying to find new homes for this that I really, I, everything that we can do to support them is the things that we, that's the front, the front line thing we're always making sure is the case.
1: So one thing that seems almost like a contradiction is that the institution is in trouble because it's out of money and it's in deficit situation but it costs money to close the door.
0: Exactly, right. And yeah, and in fact, um, someone was just recently talking to me about that, that some organizations, when they realize they have to close, they actually, and that was the thing we knew was gonna be the case too, you actually have to go on a fundraising campaign to close. And those (laughs) campaigns are not very successful in many cases.
1: Yeah, we've talked about raising money for debt, raising money for reserves, raising money to close.
0: Yeah, and in fact, when, uh, so just to step back for a second, when we were doing the forensic analysis, and I'm using that term, Suzanne Moss kind of gave me that term a few days ago, so I, was, I like that term, when we were doing that back almost a year ago, it was really talking to the board and, and everyone engaged saying, well, it's going to cost this much to close, and that's just about the same as it is to do the transformation analysis, so it's worth investing a, investigating this at the same time, but the reality is keeping those costs in mind, because um, as difficult as fundraising can be anyway, Fundraising for close is almost impossible, so the board really took the status of well, then we're going to try and make sure we're closing with control by dealing with the finances that we do still have, and so we, we were blessed with a level of an endowment. It's not big enough to be able to help us stay sustained, but it is something that we're using to be able to help us close so we're working with the attorney general's office to to handle that endowed restricted access
1: to dig into that a little bit deeper most endowment funds are restricted for a purpose education exhibitions most people don't put money in endowment to pay for closing so what is the process to free that up
0: it is long, <laughs> but that's the way it should be. I mean, in other words, for all of this, as, as I will say to donors and others that are interested, you know, if it was easy to close, then that, that's not the point of this. So having to go through these steps is why uh, we want to make sure we're doing it responsibly. So we engaged with the AG very early on. They appreciated that from a proactive standpoint. So as we were investigating, not closing at that point, but just the transformation of the organization and saying, hey, this is a possibility. They were helpful in pointing us in a couple of directions, specifically around the deaccessioning issue, but also in potentially getting restricted access to the restricted funds within the endowment itself. And so that's the process. Yeah, you're right. The restricted endowment is restricted for a reason, and what we're doing is then having to go through the AG's office to the courts to say, we now need to get access to that for a different reason, but it's to support, essentially, what the donor's purpose was, which was to support the collection and the public good, we're trying to do that by finding the new homes and using the funds to do that.
1: So you use the word forensic, and it's almost like, uh, in a way, you're doing a bit of an autopsy on an organization. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you: you probably know about as much <laughs> about um, the fiscal, um, um, the finances, and 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 the fiscal viability of organizations by studying this organization. Uh, what are your top two or three takeaways? What have you learned as a businessman coming into a nonprofit and having to decide whether it would live or not and now taking it apart? What have you learned?
0: Fair enough. So, uh, so I'll say, I'll kind of do two things there. So we definitely, there are some things that I definitely have learned and I know because we're not done yet, there are things I'm going to learn. So there are lessons that are coming up. I'm just waiting for them. Um, <laughs> but I think the two biggest things are, um, in the other nonprofits that I work with too, the struggle that non- many nonprofits have and not wanting to think of themselves as a business because that has a different connotation to everybody but the reality is no margin no mission so if you're not able to stay sustainable you can't assure that you're delivering whatever your services whatever the cultural um, resources are you're providing to the public so assuring that you're sustainable five years ten years next decade next century is really something that we'd want to have everybody keeping. And I think it's easy to lose that sight. <laughs> you, get, you get lost in the weeds, you're firefighting, whatever it is, and you're not, you're, you end up allowing expenses, expenses to outgrow your donations, your revenue. So that's kind of one big thing that I got, because coming from a, not necessarily from a corporate perspective, but just from a kind of business strategy perspective. And the other one, because of the feedback, like you asked about the, the, the public outcry from the community, it's for the public to realize don't wait until your organization closes, right? Um, So many people think, like for uh, an organization like ours where you pay a membership or a ticket price, that covers the cost. Not even close. So, uh, you know, earned income, operational income doesn't, for most organizations, come close to it. And people don't realize that, the tip of the iceberg aspect of this. Making that clear in some kind of way to your public is really important for them to realize if you really believe in the organization, you know it's not think of it as its closing and go support it. It's more thinking, how can you support it beyond that ticket price or that membership price? It's, you should be making a donation because finances are what keep them viable. And, and if you
1: love that organization, you need to preserve it for the next generation so they can benefit as well.
0: And I think that's the biggest thing is that people sometimes, uh, not lose that vision, but they don't think about the fact that I can make a difference in the organizations that I care about because, well, they're so big they don't need me. But the reality is, um, no, every dollar does count no matter how small the, the contribution is because it does add up and, and, you know, a mass appeal type thing is definitely something that can have weight.
1: Well, a job very few people would envy, but I think it's been an incredibly informative experience to hear from you, Todd Smith, Interim Executive Director at the American Textile History Museum in Lowell, another creative mind out loud.
0: Thank you very much. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.